Thanks, Sharon. Really appreciate that. It's great to be with you this morning. Good morning, Calvary. So good to be among you. My name is Jay Ewing. I'm the pastor of Community Life on the Erie campus. Real quick, here's a picture of my family. Uh, This was taken last week on Mother's Day. We're in the Chautauqua General Store in Chautauqua Park in Boulder, enjoying a cold beverage, a root beer, cream soda, and blackberry raspberry soda as we celebrate Kristen, my wife, in our lives. Kate is nine, Jacob is seven. Kristen and I met 12 years ago on this thing long ago called eHarmony. I don't even know if it's around anymore. She was living in Boulder and I was in Longmont. As the Lord would have it, we both grew up in Texas, but we met out in Colorado. So these days we're in the thick of little league season. I manage a group of six to eight-year-old boys, and we're chewing lots of sunflower seeds and looking forward to the post-game snack more than anything else. It's great to be with you. I've been praying for you since uh, 2019, actually. Long ago, we, Calvary, spent 130 days praying. It's incredible to see the result of those prayers and God's faithfulness. I'm convinced that Jesus does some of his best work with the local church. I love Calvary Bible Church. My desire is that you come to love it too. For those new to Calvary today or in the last few weeks, uh, welcome. From what I've experienced, you're in a special place among some special people. We're finishing up the book of James today. In two weeks, we will be done. Incredible, huh? We started back in February and made our way to chapter 5. James is the brother of Jesus. And I think it's fitting for us to know early on that the early church called uh, James, they had a nickname for him called James the Just, uh, which plays out in our section today. But before we go any further, let me pause and uh, give a brief word of prayer. Pray with me. Lord, we acknowledge you in our midst. We pray now to a living God a God who speaks to us through many different means, but clearly through your word. We ask today we would not harden our hearts or tune you out. Speak to us. Bring joy and peace in our lives. We trust you and you alone to speak. In your precious son's name we pray, amen. I want to take you back to an ancient story At the closing of the book of Genesis, we're left with a 400-year gap between the family of Abraham arriving and settling in the land of Egypt through the third generation, his great-grandson Jacob. In those 400 years, something horrible happens. Through some terrible and unfortunate events, the family of Abraham becomes enslaved to Pharaoh and to the Egyptian economic system. It gets so bad that Jacob's family tree begins to cry out to the Lord. Uh, The God of their father, their grandfather, and their great-grandfathers in those 400 years. And Exodus 2 says this, The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came to God, came up to God, and God heard their groanings. In other words, Exodus 2.25 says this, God saw the people of Israel and knew. Have you ever asked this question, what gets God's attention? 
Why does it matter even to ask the question? As a father of two fabulous kids, they can really already tell what my values are because what my attention they hold in those values. Early on the story of God, we see his attention. His attention. Just like my kids know if my attention may be focused on good grades or good performance or taking out the trash or loading the dishwasher, what gets my attention is something I value. And so when we open up Genesis and we turn the page into Exodus, we find that God has, they have God's attention. Amazingly, if you read God's story from cover to cover, you find that one of the ways to grab God's attention is by his people crying out due to injustice. In our text today, we discover or are reminded that God listens to the oppressed. He listens throughout the days of being under Pharaoh's rule to James' day of the rich oppressing the early church. It continues in the significant theme that runs throughout the book of James. The choice between friendship with God and friendship with the world turns the page in chapter 4. In particular, when we talk about the friendship of the world and friendship with God, James wants us to highlight the rich oppressing the early church. In particular, James has been highlighting these themes to illustrate the consequence the love of the world entails. This section focused mainly on the rich. Last week's section was about boasting about the future. These illustrations show the choice of the world and its values, leading them to evil and sin. As your campus pastor Zach says, we are watching the option of either arrogance or humility. Take James. James takes an irate tone on with these on these themes, a tone of an Old Testament prophet. Why such, hard, why such harshness? Because James speaks to what we all express when we see injustice. Anger, a sense of justice needing to be right and set right. In the light of James' writing style, like a prophet of old, James' judgment is targeted explicitly to how they acquire their wealth and they use their wealth. But don't take my word for it. Let's look in the book. Here are four key ways in which the poor are oppressed in James' day. The first way is this. The rich are holding resources. As you will notice in verse 3, you have laid up treasures in the last day. What does James mean here? Not only have, we, have they laid up treasures, but for what purpose? As you see in verse 2, they have laid up treasures for rot and moths. As an illustration of this point, James says, your gold and silver have corroded. Imagine me finding a penny, or imagine yourself finding a penny in your grandpa's old change jar. One that's been there since 1962. Notice the corrosion on it. That blue and blackish feel that it has. This is the word picture James uses to describe the pointless act of holding resources. This is his first offense to them. The second, James calls out in his voiding of workers. James 5, 4 says, Those who have mowed your fields, those who have done the job you've asked, these are the ones you have exploited because you have kept back by fraud. James tells us he sees it 
or better yet, tells to the rich that God sees it. One commentator wrote that James reflects the social situation of Palestine during the first century. The amassing of large tracts of land of a few wealthy and powerful individuals was a phenomenon throughout the Roman world. The Roman philosopher and writer Seneca also refers to this problem. So not only does the Bible catch, but the antiquities understands this. Reflects on the evil greed of he shows how they lead to landowners seizing more and more property at the expense of the poor. Adding to fields, to fields, expelling a neighbor either by purchasing or by harming them. The situation was evident in Palestine and the conditions had been deteriorating over many centuries. So why is holding back funds wrong? Because these people are day-to-day living. Those who are mowing the fields are day-to-day living. If you don't work, you don't get paid. If you don't get paid, you probably don't eat that night. They are indeed on the margins of life and death. Let's linger for a second. Why is exploiting others bad? Why is exploiting others bad? It reveals something about God. Who exploits people? The adversary. Satan loves to exploit. So when you're exploiting someone, you're playing to the hands of the evil one. Who never exploits evil? God. God never exploits us. He never uses us in a way that only benefits himself. His methods, his purposes, profit not only him, but us as well. When he does something, when he acts, it's for his good and our good. Moving through James' warning, the third way in which the rich have oppressed is living in luxury and self-indulgence. Jump down to verse 5 with me. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. James' real beef implies that the luxurious and self-indulgent life is taking place while ignoring the poor. The theme of condemnation of the rich has the same characteristic as the prophets of old. It doesn't take long as you read the major and the minor prophets in your Old Testament, you realize um, there's a real problem here. The warning is ignorance more than just living in simple luxury. Along with the prophets, James joins in the conversation, how much was enough? Instead of asking, how can my resources help my neighbor? In this case, of the neighbor being poor, if they weren't enough, James says, you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Now that is a word picture for an old Texas boy. I get that. I grew up in Amarillo, Texas. When the wind blew just right, my dad would say, always say, that smells like money. And that's sort of the word picture that James is wanting to get us here. Smell the, the cattle yard. James is comparing those in self-indulgence to the stockyards where they provide the richest grain to get the cows as big as possible, as fast as possible. The comparison is clear. Indulgence before destruction. Just as an animal is force-fed before it's killed, the rich feed themselves for the day of judgment. James isn't finished when he's calling it as he sees it. The fourth key to the rich have oppressed the poor. The fourth reason why, as a matter of fact, maybe the most grievous way is how they've murdered 
the innocent. Follow me into verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. This begs the questions, how have they murdered the innocent? Well, it's a consequence of exploiting the workers by keeping back their wages. As we discovered, the keeping back of wages was judged to be very serious. It was one of the principal evils that cried out to heaven. In fact, Deuteronomy 25, 15 tells us that this is the law of God given to the people of God. You shall pay their wages daily before sunset because they are poor and their livelihood depends on it. Otherwise, they might cry to the Lord against you and you would incur guilt. So as we have already recognized the first century Palestine, many day laborers depended on their daily wages to purchase food for themselves and their family. Without withholding money can mean going hungry or even, as James says, dying. James makes it clear that the innocent blood is on the hands of the rich. These are some heavy accusations, aren't they? It's like, that's pretty serious. James is making it about the rich oppressor. Those, these are the most compelling pieces of evidence among the rich. Holding resources, exploiting workers, living in luxury and self-indulgence, and murdering the innocent. So I invite you to ask, what are the consequences of such glaring charges? Remember, these deplorable acts have got God listening to the oppressed. Okay, enough sobering news. Let's look at a hope-filled part of the story. Underline with me in verse 4, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. This section of James says that God listens. His ears are on. To make the case, we discover or remember another name of God, Lord of hosts. What does that mean? Its simplest translation is Lord of angel armies. God is the one who has an army of justice. God is the great commander of that army and the Lord of hosts. With this definition in mind, God is the one who brings justice. He's the one who can rightly do so. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. God is a God of justice, and he will put all things right. Just like he did with Jacob's family and the people of Israel when they were enslaved with Pharaoh in Egypt, and just as we watched the oppressed and the poor in Ukraine, God champions the just god is the lord of hosts lord of angel armies it's either this life or the next but god will make it right Hmm. i do want to mention the response that is why james tells the rich oppressors that they should weep and howl for misery that are coming upon them james is looking ahead to the future judgment where there will be a remarkable, remarkable reverse of fortunes. This happens all over the Bible, doesn't it? Those among the poor who trust Christ will experience great reward, while those who are exploiting them will face the judgment of God. This judgment should cause the rich to come to their senses and repent. Another related aspect is the material things of life are temporary. They will rot and fade. 
Those who put all their hope and satisfaction in material things will ultimately suffer a significant loss. I was able to see this idea from James lived out my senior year of high school. Uh, I'm from the era of youth ministry when we took, they took high school kids to Juarez, Mexico to build houses. We built houses, we built houses for the poorest of the poor. Uh, Juarez was, being, was beginning to ramp up with violence. Um, and in these days, you just don't take kids there anymore or students. It was one of those last times uh, I got to uh, go and, and build houses that I was on this job site and this little boy, Juan, about my son ages now, uh, now hung around the work area. And uh, he, was a, he was a really sort of cute little boy and through a translator we started up a friendship. Um, and he watched his house getting built between a bunch of teenagers and volunteers. His last house had been a hodgepodge of pallets of wood and blue tarp. So on the second day of the site, I asked Juan why he wasn't in school after I saw so many of his uh, friends in the neighborhood walk to school that morning. Through a translator, he told me he had a cleft palate and wasn't allowed to go to school anymore. Broke my heart. But those last few days, we spent hanging out, talking, laughing, eating lots of candy, which I brought to Mexico. <laughs> And playing soccer. Uh, let's just say I was distracted on the job site for sure. The final day came and we hooked, we hooked up the electricity and the local pastor came in and he blessed the house. Uh, dedicated it to the Lord. And it was time for me to say goodbye to Juan. I told him that Jesus loved him and saw him. And through tearful eyes I told him I would always remember him and pray for him. As a teenager, I knew the system. I understood the corruption. I saw what it led to in Juan's life. And the world wasn't right. And I longed for justice. Just as you probably watch news cycles, experience stories, understand some of you, maybe kids in your neighborhood. And know that there is injustice in the world. What are we supposed to do? James has an excellent remedy for us. The next verse in James 5, 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Yes, we are to look at the coming of the Lord. James calls the church to be patient, even though the innocent are dying. Be patient, even though others live in luxury and self-indulgence. Be patient, even though they're being exploited. Be patient, even though the resources are being held. Like patience, like love, patience will help us solidify ourselves when under pressure, provoked, or pain across our lives. Remember the first chapter of James. Patient endurance has a reward in character development, in producing hope, and ultimately, in the coming of the Lord. Love for God. Granted by compassion and experiencing that love and the expectation of God's return motivates us believers to be patient and steadfast and living in hope. 
remembering always that God listens to the oppressed. The big question is, how do we apply this section of James to our lives? Here are just a few reflections. We're trying to get involved in being the hands and the feet of Jesus, making sure we participate with God and listening to the oppressed. This is why I love this time every year. This weekend in May, we have a purposeful reminder, Micah 6.8, to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. When we get involved with Food for Hope here on Thornton campus, we acknowledge that thousands of kids in Adams County are not receiving enough to eat. We partner with Food for Hope's mission to empower and strengthen the future of our community by providing nutritious food to kids in need. Knowing that each student enrolled in this program receives nutritional assistance throughout the year. People, it is impossible to do times tables on an empty stomach. Let's see these kids and tell them we see you and you're more important and you're special and more importantly, God sees you. We can get involved with refugees knowing that God commands and requires us to walk humbly to make sure that the refugees in our midst are seen. We're praying about a new team this fall. There's a refugee meeting tonight, like Brody said, on this campus at, five, at 6.30. When we show mercy to these people from a strange land, we demonstrate God listens to their cries of injustice. And we are here on His behalf. How cool is it to see high school students going on the Filter of Hope trip? That's amazing. They're showing off the filtration system today in the lobby, you can actually participate with them, encourage them, see how this works. They leave June 3rd through the 10th. Their mission trip for Filter of Hope is to change lives and create hope by providing clean drinking water and share the living water of Jesus Christ with families. The trips allow high school students to meet real needs for clean drinking water and to share the good news of Jesus Christ declaring that God has listened to your cries. How many of those where those students will show up have been praying to God to provide clean drinking water? These high school students are his answer to that prayer. Another way we get to look at this section of James is to ask each of us the hard questions and these are really hard questions, especially as Americans. How do we gain our wealth? How did we gain our wealth? Did we do injustice and oppress someone else to secure our safety? How do we spend our wealth? Do you know the things you're getting? Do you know if your things that you're buying and purchasing are from exploited people? If you knew... Would you care even if you knew that answer? How much is enough? Why did God give us the resources he did? These are tough questions. Questions I would be unloving if I did not ask in view of James 5. How can we partner with God in declaring to the broken world the message of Jesus Christ? 
Because ultimately, those who put their faith in the living Christ must demonstrate to the world that God listens and God is the Lord of hosts. So as we close today, how or what has James spoken that gets your attention? What is it about this text, this hard text, that makes us listen and understand maybe an invitation from God himself? And there's so many things we can get involved in in this world. Ultimately, we've got to remember that God listens to the oppressed. And that is the great joy that you and I get to step in and be that answer at times to those people. Let's pray. God, you are God who hears our cries, who knows our, our deep longings, who knows our deep fears. You know uh, our bank statements, and you understand uh, our neighbors. And so, Lord, that you would uh, kindly encourage each of us in this room, reveal to us how you want us and which ways you want us to get involved with those who are oppressed. And Lord, that you would kindly meet with each of us, that you would open the doors and close doors so that we could be a people just like Micah 6.8. And ultimately, Jesus, may we look and long for your return. We long for the day that you come back and make all things new and put all things back in place. That you're a God of justice and a Lord of hosts. And we pray to you, the living God. In your name we pray, amen.